think of the Our Father, how many times we say the Our Father every day or every part of our church services, many times. And we come across this line very often. And so the question is, you know, um, when we say it, do we actually know what we're saying? And really the derivative to thy will be done is, is submission and surrender. That's kind of where we're going with today's conversation. So if you guys can kind of forgive me and have a discussion with me, we can kind of get to the root of really submission and what it means to surrender to God. I think it's a topic we can all kind of learn from. So next uh, slide there, Mackie. So when you think of submission, um, what, what, what comes to mind? What are the words that come to mind when you think of submission? Maybe it's better if I scroll just so I can see it too. Or find it. No? Should I come up there? Yeah, sure. Sorry, because my eyes are not the greatest. So. Thanks, man. Thank you. Sorry about that. So, when I say the word submission, um, what comes to mind, right? You see it on the screen here. What are some of the words that come to mind when you hear the word submission? Oftentimes, we associate it with a very inferior word, right? Like weakness, like darkness, like. Um, it's something that's not a very good adjective to describe somebody. When, you, when someone is submissive or they surrender, it's not a very strong attribute. So the first thing that comes to mind when we think of submission is not a very fierce quality in someone. But when we actually look at the definition of what submission means, it really amazed me when I looked at it. In Latin, to put myself under. And in Greek, to put myself under the arrangement of someone else. Okay? This is the definition of submission. So if I ask you what are the two common themes in those definitions, what would you say? Voluntarily or involuntarily? Like these two definitions, is anybody forcing you to submit? Is anybody forcing you? No. It's your willingness to put yourself under the arrangement of someone else. So it's important for us to understand the definition of what submission actually means. Submitting means you're willingly giving that person the authority over you to lead you in the right direction. It's much more than obedience because it reflects how you feel. Submission is not passive, it's in fact very active. So first and foremost, we have to understand what the proper definition of submission actually is. Look at my, well, we'll have some fun here together. Okay? And this is supposed to actually pop up line by line, so there's a better effect here. Um, but the irony, right? What are the two most common phrases that we say in our Egyptian culture, right? Like what our parents always say. They say, God willing, inshallah, and they say, malish, okay? Now, this is a different topic. We'll have another lesson for that. Maybe Aki, you can invite me for that one. But uh, malish, you know, you smash somebody's part. They say malish, and it's okay. You just go home. It's no problem. But we say inshallah all the time. Inshallah. Everything you go, inshallah. Will you be there? Inshallah. You'll pass the exam. Inshallah. When I was a kid and I'd ask my parents for something, and I got inshallah, I never knew what that meant. Did it mean I'm getting it? Can I go? Or did it mean give me time to think? I never knew what it meant as a kid. Right? Some of you guys are nodding because you feel the same way. We say it so often. This word inshallah. But do we actually reflect on what we're, what we're saying? To me, when I talk about the will of God, I should be confident in that answer. Confident in this answer is yes, I will give. Yes, I will be gracious. Yes, I will glorify. So when we keep saying God willing every other sentence, or we say inshallah, we should really, really practice what we say and really submit and understand that we're verbalizing what the will of God actually is. In the liturgy, You'll notice that Abuna, when he finishes the prayers and he says the raise them to their measure, he says this one line, which is, manage our lives as deemed fit. 
And that kind of goes with this whole God willing piece, right? And when we say manage our lives as deemed fit, we have to step back and reflect. It's as he sees deemed fit, not as we see deemed fit. And that's a big, very important piece of the submission category that I want to kind of reflect on today. Okay? So a little bit of some irony here. So let's play some family feud. And again, you're supposed to see these come up one by one, but you know, we'll do it this way. So in order for us to submit, before we can talk about steps on how to submit to God, we have to determine what keeps us from submitting to God. What are some of the things that hinder us from submission or from trusting God? Right? Listen, I'm no expert at submission, right? I'm learning and I don't have written a book or anything. They're just my ideas on things that have helped me in my experiences, things that I've worked with in my father confession. But some thoughts come to mind. One, I don't need any help. Two, everything is going great. Three, I tried, but he's not listening. Four, I don't want to change. Five, I know what I want. Six, I do trust, but I have a plan B. This one really hits home with me because this is me. I'm that guy. I'm the guy that says, Lord, I surrender, but I have 50 plan Bs in my back pocket just in case. Right? That's me. He's taking too long. Times are rough. And finally, it hurts. How many of us have heard these in our struggle to submission or to surrender? How many times have, have we felt this on our path to trying to submit and to let God take the wheel? Right? Very, very common things that we go through. But the good news is, for each of these, it's not working. Yeah. The good news is for each of these reasons, we have the Bible that gives us otherwise, gives us our solutions to how we can kind of go about these reasons for each of each one of these. So as Aki pulls it up, I'll kind of share with you like it hurts or it's taking too long or he's not listening. Right? We see biblically that the Bible is there for us in every way. Hang on, I can pull up on my phone too. So for each of those eight reasons that we talked about, one, I don't need any help, and I'll wait for the screen to come, but I can continue. Jeremiah 17, five. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on the flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. We said two, everything is going great. Psalm 62.10, do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. We said three, I tried, but he's not listening. Psalm 34, 17. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their trouble. We said four. I don't want to change. Job 4, 17. Happy is the man who God corrects. Therefore do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. For he bruises but he binds up. He wounds but his hands make whole. Five. I know what I want. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. We said six, I do trust, but I have a plan B. Again, this one is one that hits home with me, the guy that always has a plan B. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bagging for your journey, nor two tunics, 
nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. We said seven, he is taking too long, times are rough. Be still before the Lord and wait patient for him. And we said finally eight, it hurts. Many times on our path to submission, we say it hurts too much. It hurts for me to submit, it hurts for me to trust. I have to do things on my own because I know my own pain. Job 13, 15, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. And finally, Psalm 62, 8, trust in him at all times. You people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. So for each of those eight reasons that we tell ourselves why we can't submit, the Bible gives us a solution. And it gives us advice. It gives us counsel on how to view it in our own manner. That each one of these reasons God has a solution for and God has a path for. I'll carry on until we get the screen up and running for you guys to see it. Aki says it's coming, so I trust Aki. How do we get there? Okay? How do we get there? Submission is a journey. It's not easy. It's tough. It's tough to submit. Let alone is it tough to submit to, to God. Sometimes it's hard for us to even follow instructions in our daily lives, whether it's at work or whether it's in our home, with our parents, with our bosses, uh, with our, you know, our colleagues. Like it, it's difficult. So submission is a journey. It doesn't happen overnight. But there are some sub-steps that we take to help us get to submission, to help us get on that path. And it's a journey. And so we'll talk about five sub-steps today. Five sub-steps today that help us on our path to submission. And again, I told you guys, I'm no expert in submission. You know, I don't have any papers that I've written or any, any books. It's just ideas and discussions that we have. And a lot of these ideas, you might tell me, they're very PG-13. But sometimes, I think we overcomplicate things. And sometimes it's important for us as Orthodox Christians to go back to basics and go back to fundamentals and ask ourselves, are we doing the fundamentals? Are we doing the basic things that sometimes we skip over to get us on the path to something so big and so niche as submission? So five sub-steps. One is obedience. And we'll go through each of these. Two is listening. And when I say listening, I don't mean following instructions. I mean canceling out the noise and trying to identify and decipher the Word of God. Any of you guys here have the uh, Bluetooth noise-canceling headphones? So I've gotten these recently and they've changed my life. Changed my life because I work from home now. And so uh, my son was home with us for six months because of school. And, and I can just really be in my own element and focus. and. And sometimes, you know, they think I'm working, but I'm not. But it's just, it's beautiful. You know, you're really kind of in your own back. Sometimes you need noise-canceling headphones to cancel out the worldly noise so you can truly hear God's voice in your life. Three, I have something called Be Invisible. Okay, and we'll go through that together. And I know a lot of you are looking at me like I'm crazy a little bit, but I'll explain to you what that means. Be Invisible. Thank you, Aki. Be Invisible. Four, remember and reflect. And five, wait. Patience. Okay, so we'll go through each of these together. But before we do that, a little disclaimer. Okay, some of you in this room, including myself, may be control freaks. Okay, if you are, raise up your hand. Or raise the person's hand beside me. Like that's the irony, right? <laughs> Many of us are control freaks. And I love this quote on the bottom here, it really stuck out to me. A control freak tries to make an uncertain world certain. Have you seen 2020? Have you seen the fact that I'm speaking to you today wearing this mask? Yep. The world is uncertain. And so a control freak, especially in today's climate, would lose his marbles or lose her marbles because we cannot control something that is so uncertain. But that's what a control freak does. They spend their, their entire life trying to make things certain 
and factual, and because they can, they start to go crazy. So we have to ask ourselves, are we control freaks? And if we are, and it's okay, a lot of us are, it's normal. How do we handle that? How do we navigate that so we can truly submit to the will of God? So this is just a little bit of a disclaimer here. I'll have to explain this slide a little bit, okay? Does anybody know this group here in the top left? Aki, yes? Anyone know them? They're called Outcasts, okay? I'll explain to where I'm going with this. Just forgive me, it'll give me some time here. Outcasts is a group when I was in high school, uh, or maybe it was university, they had this song that kept going on the radio called I'm Sorry Miss Jackson, okay? And it was the number one song for like months and months. And to be honest, I don't like this group, or I do I like that song at all. I thought it was terrible. But it was just so vivid in my memory because it was the number one song for so long and it won all these awards. It was a terrible song. I'm sorry, Miss Jackson, I am for real. You know what I'm talking about, right? So a month and a half ago, I'm in the car with my wife and the song comes on the radio. And I say to her, I'm like, change the song, it's terrible. And she's like, no, no, I want to listen to it. It's, you know, nostalgia from high school. So we turn the song on and the song is playing in the radio. And one of the verses in the song really, really stuck to me. I said to my wife, I'm like, you know what? In my adult years now, I kind of understand what this means. And so one of the verses in the song says, you can plan a pretty picnic, but you can't predict the weather. And it goes in the same tune. You can plan a pretty picnic, but you can't predict the weather. And I said to myself, wow. Like if this isn't a message for someone like me who's a control freak or who's a planner at heart, like then what is? And look at the bottom picture here, it's this gentleman who plans a really nice picnic for his lady and they go out and it's beautiful and the basket is nice and probably some nice cheese and some nice fruits there and it's about to rain on them. We can do all we can as planners and we can control as much as we can but there's always a variable that God has in his, in his pocket. And the irony of this is, well who can predict the weather? Well God can. So he's the one, he's kind of our ultimate planner. And so I thought this was a very funny um, picture collage here because it really stuck to me as to, you know, people tell me that I'm a planner. I over plan things. I over back up. I over control. And sometimes you really just have to let your hands down and say, it's in your, it's in your hands, God. It's not in mine. Everyone knows this example here, right? Everyone knows this icon. Everyone knows this classic story, right? Of Abraham walking to sacrifice his son, Isaac. We say it in the holy fraction of Holy Thursday, probably one of the most beautiful fractions uh, in the whole year, in my opinion. And oftentimes we teach our kids that this is a classic example of obedience. This is a story of obedience. He obeyed, he obeyed, he obeyed, so we have to obey. I will challenge you and I will say, I, I will argue that this is actually an example of submission. Here's why. And if you've ever taken a philosophy course in, in, in university, they'll often bring up this example and say, well, did Abraham know that on the way to the mountain that Isaac was going to die when he got up there? That's like a classic philosophical question they try to debate. The answer is, oh, I don't know, who knows that? But what we do know is that Abraham believed in his heart that whatever the destination was, it was going to be okay. Because he trusted in God. And he believed that God would deliver him good. Regardless of what the outcome was, it was going to be good for him. That's the difference between submission and obedience. Right? Is that obedience, you obey blindly. You can. Obey my boss at work doesn't mean that I love them or have any affection. But submission is when I'm following because of what we said definition was. Under the arrangement of someone else for my better. And that's what Abraham here, I believe, felt. And so I'll argue this example as being one of submission and less about actually obedience. So what is obedience then? Why is that a first sub-step? The difference is what we said. Obedience is simply following instructions. It doesn't tell you anything about how you feel or offer any affection to the person. I can obey somebody in complete blindness 
and have no affection towards them. I obey my boss. Doesn't mean that I, I like them or, or you know I have any uh, specific respect for them in any way. I, I can. I can develop that, but not necessarily. Relationships often start with obedience, but then they grow into submission. And this is why in our children at a young age, we teach them to obey and we teach them to rule the church because our hope is that as they evolve in their spiritual lives, their obedience now translates into submission and that's where the love for God comes in. It's very interesting, St. Basil, the great Orthodox father, he talks about three steps in fearing God, in, ob- in obeying God. He says that the first step is that we obey because we sometimes fear punishment. And then he says you obey because you want reward. And then he says the third and most mature level is you obey because you want to please your father. Because you love your father. And if you think of us as children with our parents, it's very interesting to make that comparison. Think of children. I have an eight-year-old son. And when we're children, in our early stages of childhood, we obey our parents because what? We don't want time out. We don't want any punishment. My son doesn't want to be in time out or miss anything or lose his uh, Nintendo Switch time. So listen to mom and dad. Now he's in the phase where he does things because of reward. And everything is a negotiation. From when he wakes up to when he goes to sleep, he's negotiating with me about something. So much so that now he prorates his rewards. He says, Dad, can I have a gift? I say, why? I'm going to get her a good report card next month. I say, it doesn't work like that. But that's the stage he's in. Everything is a reward. And the hope is that when he becomes an adult, he listens to his mom and dad because he loves them and he wants to please them and take care of them as we all are now in our stage with our parents. So it's funny that St. Basil talks about these three steps so we can truly identify them in obedience with our own parents, right? As we were children and now that we've grown up. So I find this a very, very beautiful example here. So obedience, of course, is the first sub-step of submission, right? The path of trusting God because we love Him and because we know that He will manage our lives as He sees deemed fit, as Abuna says in the liturgy. This is the first step, the first sub-step. The second step is listening. I remember I told you earlier on, it's not listening as in following instructions. It's trying to decipher the voice of God, almost like the noise-canceling headphones that I love so much. Sometimes we talk too much. Right? And this is why the person here is telling us to shish sometimes. Sometimes we talk so much and we fill ourselves so much with the noise of the world that we can't hear the voice of God. Can you imagine a relationship where it's only one-sided when one person is talking and, and the other person is just listening and that's it? Like if I come home from work and all I do is blab about my day, how hard it was, how the commute was, how the go trains was, how wearing this mask was terrible for the day and my wife tries to get a word and I say hang on I'm not done and I just keep blabbing on what kind of relationship is that what kind of relationship is when you have a friend who only talks about them and you never get a word in right a relationship has to have where we listen and we hear the other person Proverbs 834 blessed is the man who listens to me watching daily at my gates waiting at the post of my door so we talk about listening here we're talking about deciphering trying to hear the voice of God in our lives. And I think in today's climate, with all we have going on, whether it's social media or it's you know the news or it's this and that, we sometimes cannot determine what the voice of God is. Sometimes there's a message coming our way and because there's so much noise, we can't hear it. I'll give you guys an example. When salespeople come to your house and they knock on your door or they ring your doorbell, um, I know what we do in our house. Turn the lights off and pretend we're not home, okay? We don't want to answer the door. And the reason is why we don't want to buy anything or be solicited to anything, and so we act like we're not home. The irony of this is that many times when God is trying to give me that message, I do the same thing. Turn the lights off, pretend like I'm not home. 
And there's a really important message outside that's actually free. There's no cost involved, but I do the same thing. We have to be able to determine who's knocking on that door and trying to give me that message. So we look at this slide here. And the question is, who's really driving? So I will share with you my own reflection on this. This to me is a depiction of me, right? I come out of liturgy on Sunday, or I've heard something, I've heard a good talk, or I feel you know, at a spiritual peak, and I say, Lord, I surrender. I surrender. I'm going to give you the wheel to the car. I'm going to sit in the passenger seat, and wherever you go, Lord, I'm going to be okay with it. And the Lord starts driving, and I'm in the passenger seat. And every 30 seconds, I say to the Lord, I say, no, 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 this is this way is better. And I cut him off, and I make him go right. And I say, no, 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 Lord, Google Maps says this, and I make him go a different way. And I control it from the passenger seat. Don't be a backseat driver, okay? And I will share this with you because, you know, we're all family here. So my wife is a backseat driver. It's in her DNA to be a backseat driver. She sits beside me, and she, she, she has to control where we're going. And I would say 80% of our arguments happen in the car because of the backseat driving. And because she's so amazing and she knows that it bothers me, now she tries so hard to not backseat drive. But because it's in her DNA, she can't resist. And so now she does it very politely. She'll sit beside me, we're in a, a traffic jam, and she'll be like, start to flinch a little bit and twitch, and then she'll say, you know, the lane beside you is pretty empty. And I kind of laugh at her. Or she'll say, you know, um, this, this left turn is not working for you. Right? And she'll just say it very quickly, and I laugh at her, I say thank you, and I, and I try to listen to her. But some people just have it in them, right? With God, let's not be backseat drivers. Let's not give him the wheel and then every 30 seconds cut him off and say, no, go this way, go that way. Because that's not being submission. And that's really what I do. I say, Lord, I'm going to submit today. That's it. I've changed my lead. And every 30 seconds, I give him a new direction. And I take the wheel from him and I drive it myself. So don't be a backseat driver. Don't be like my wife. This is recorded, right? now. Yeah, I think it's recorded. So keep this between us here. We go back to listening. Okay? How do we train our ears to hear the voice of God? Remember when you were in university, you were in school, and you are about to go into an exam, and one of your friends or colleagues came out of that same exam before you, and you found them? Ooh, what did you do? You grabbed that person and you said, listen, give me everything you got right now in these 30 seconds. Give me every question. What was the essay on? What was the topic on? What it was the... And, you get every... and your ears are so attentive. So attentive, so meticulous, and so diligent to make sure that you don't miss any word. We have to train our ears to be as diligent as that with the voice of God. The question is, why don't we? Why is it with the Bible on Sunday? If I asked you what the Bible reading was last Sunday, you'd say, I don't know. If I asked you what the sin next was, you might say, I don't know. Why is it with the word of God we are not so attentive? We are not so diligent, right? We have to be. John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. As a parent, we train ourselves to decipher our children's cry. Okay? And I feel like you know the, our mothers are amazing with that. They, they have this sixth sense to, to know what the child is wanting with the smallest of a peep. It's unbelievable. It's, it's, it's almost supernatural. So as my son gets older, we can decipher what his cry means. This is a hunger cry, this is a tired cry, this is just an irritated cry, etc., etc. So as he gets older, he's now in the basement with his cousin and they're playing. And every half an hour we hear like a, a thud and a kid starts crying, right? As kids do. And so the parent upstairs in the living room can say, no, 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 he's not really hurt. I know that, that's, a, that's a Dela cry, it's not a real cry. But then when the parent hears the real cry, they run downstairs knowing that this is a real cry of pain. 
We train our ears to be so meticulous with our children's cry. Why can't we train our ears to be this meticulous with the voice of God? When God is trying to speak to us, when he's trying to tell us something or give us a message, why don't we train our ears? My friends, we have to be able to listen and decipher his voice to get on that path of submission and surrendering to his voice. We said the third one was be invisible. I gave you guys a disclaimer. Hear me out first before you think I'm crazy. And what I mean by be invisible. What are some of the attributes of someone who lives a life of submission? And you all know somebody in your life that you can say, this is an example of someone that I know who lives this life of submission, who trusts in God. I ask you, what are some of their attributes? What are some of their characteristics? Are they loud? Are they obnoxious? Are they in your face? Are they negative Nancys? Are they complainers? No, right? No. In fact, many times they'll say, I don't even notice that person sometimes. Sometimes we're at a, an event or a gathering and they're just kind of in the background. Someone who lives a life of submission is almost invisible. And I don't mean like, you know, no voice or, or being well done. I mean, they've really taken a step back from the world, right? So they can truly see earth through God's eyes. That's what the life of submission is. Through St. Mary's fast and her reverence, we, and, and revering her, we, we talked a lot about her attributes. And one of the things that we talked about was kind of how soft-spoken she was. And in the Bible, there's not many examples of long monologues or long sentences or long dialogue that she had. Many of her words are actually just in phrases. My soul magnifies the Lord. Behold the maid servant. You know, they ran out of wine. Do as he says. It, it's almost like really, really soft phrases, but super, super powerful. And she is the ultimate example of someone who lives a life of submission. And the irony is that someone like St. Mary, who went through the hardships that she went through, probably shouldn't be so soft-spoken. She'd probably be very loud and t- telling everyone how hard her life is, how tough the tribulations were. Think about her life, you know, a, a, a teenager who was an orphan, who then becomes preg- pregnant. This is a very tough life. Imagine in today's society you had a, a, a pregnant orphan teen, right? It, 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 it's a lot, there's a lot of voice in that. But she was so soft-spoken in the background, living her life of submission. I think it's a wonderful example of sometimes taking a step back and kind of you know, being quiet a little bit and looking at the world through God's eyes, being invisible. Pope Carlos VI, in his enthronement, he said a really, really powerful quote. And he wasn't known for, for, for speaking. He wasn't a man of words. He was a man of prayer. But this quote really stuck to me. Let us disappear so that Christ can appear. Life of submission is not loud, it's not obnoxious, it's not so visible all the time, right? And that's really the art of humility. It's really in the background. So sometimes for us to get on that path of submission, we want to take a step backwards and seep out of the world so God can sink in and we can truly see see Him. Number four, we said, remember and reflect. I'll share with you guys this verse here. And they went to tell his disciples, Behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by their feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they shall see me. So, the question here is, why Galilee? Okay? Why did the Lord tell the disciples to go to Galilee? He's in Jerusalem, they're in Jerusalem. Why is he saying, meet me in Galilee? Galilee is not like it's a, you know, it's the next block. It's a walk, it's a bit of a, a trek. Why not just meet him in Jerusalem right now? Why do we have to go all the way to Galilee and trek to meet you when we're all here, Lord. Why? Why did our Lord want the disciples to go meet him in Galilee? I'll tell you why. 
Galilee is where they first met. Galilee is when things were good. They met God. Their spiritual lives were great. Everything was good. They ate fish together. They walked together. They saw wonders. There was no anxiety. There was no persecution. Everything was great. It was almost like their first love. And so our Lord is saying, go back to your Galilee so you can remember the good days. Remember when you trusted me so much? Remember when it was so good and so... Remember those days. And that will get you through the hardships right now. Each one of us sitting here today has a Galilee. Each one of us has. Each one of us has a moment in our lives or a phase in our lives when our spiritual life was at its peak. When things were going so well and so good and we felt God in our lives every single day. Each one of us has that. Sometimes we have to go back to that Galilee to get us through where we are right now. Similar to our schooling, right? If you have a semester um, where grades weren't so good this semester, and you say to yourself, well, how come I was doing well last semester? What was I doing back then? Well, I was studying more, I was less distracted. I gotta make some tweaks. Or my physical health. Why have I gained 20 pounds this, uh, this quarter? Oh, let me go back and see what I was doing before. I was exercising, I was eating better, and we make tweaks. Why with our spiritual lives do we not do the same thing? Each one of us sitting here today has a gallery. So let us go back and find when we are at our spiritual peaks, make those changes and go back to it. We have to remember and reflect. When I sit with my father's confession and I struggle with submission, he always tells me the same thing. He goes back and says, let's look at your life. And he starts giving me examples. What about this? What about that? Remember those days? Remember those days when you were worried about this? And you were anxious about this? Well, what about now? Sometimes we have to remember the past, the days when God stood with us, the days where he guided us through tribulation, and be confident of what the future holds in submitting to him. Remember the days when you prayed for what you have now. Very, very common and classic quote. And this helps us get to our path of submission. Remembering and reflecting is very important. I have the question here that says, why do you think Zacharias, what do you think Zacharias did in his silence? Remember in Kiak, the first four Gospels, right? The infancy narratives. The very first one, of course, is the angel appearing to Zechariah and saying, Elizabeth will give birth. And you know the classic story, he gets muted for nine months. What do you think he was doing in his silence for those nine months? What do you think he was reflecting on? I bet you he was reflecting on, like, wow, look at what's happening. Here I am, after all these years, in my silence, and I'm watching my wife become pregnant. Maybe she's getting pregnancy symptoms. Maybe I'm seeing the hand of God. Maybe I'm seeing her happiness that I've never seen before. Wow, I should have believed. Sometimes in our silence we can reflect and truly see the wonder of God working in our lives. And this is where the remember and the reflection is very, very important. A very important step for us to truly believe in the future and trust in God's will for us moving forward. And the last one we said was patience, waiting. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. I can give you guys patient verses in the Bible until you're blue of the week. There's many of them. We have to be patient when we ask God for something, or when it's time to surrender Him. And because it's not now, doesn't mean it's not never. And this is a very important one for us. If you look at this slide here, on the left, um, you see a child eating food very quickly. I'll explain to you what this is. So in my household, we have the same situations that happen almost on a weekly basis. My son comes home from school, and for some reason he's starving every single day, as if he doesn't have lunch for the whole day, I don't understand it. Kids come home and they're very, very hungry. He comes home from school and he's starving. So he says to his mom, 
can I have this granola bar? Can I have this snack? Can I have this chips? Because I'm so hungry. His mom says, no, dinner's not ready. You have to wait. And he gets frustrated. Slams the table. Mom doesn't understand. She's so mean. She doesn't care about me. I'm so hungry. She doesn't want to give me food. What's his mom's objective? His mom is making him the nice supper, the nice dinner that's going to sustain him, that's going to fill him, that's going to give him the nutrients, all the food ingredients, and he's going to be so satisfied if he just waits an extra half an hour. But he doesn't understand it. He wants his snack now to feed his hunger. My friends, sometimes we act like hungry children. We pray to God and say, I want my blessing now. I want my answer now. I don't want to wait that half an hour for whatever's going to sustain me and give me more. I want it now. Do we have the patience to wait for a year, five years, six months, whatever it is? Do we have that patience or do we act like hungry children and say, Lord, give me my food now and if I don't get it, I'm not going to trust you. I'm not going to submit to you. I'm going to flip the table over like my eight-year-old son and I'm going to walk away and be frustrated. Do we have this patience and this zeal? In the same example I gave you about Zacharias and the Archangel Gabriel, when the angel appeared to Zacharias in the altar, what was the first thing the angel said to Zacharias? How did he greet him? He didn't say, hey Zacharias, how are you? How's the weather? How's your cholesterol? Like, it wasn't a conversation like that. It was a very specific and driven introduction. Zacharias, your prayers have been answered. That tells me that God hears our prayers. He knows when we hurt. He knows when we're hurting, when we're sad. But he says, on my terms, I will give you what is good for you when the time is right. We have to have confidence that God will give according to his time frame and not according to mine. Psalm 27, 14. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Can I take these steps on today? Can we all commit to leaving today and saying we're going to try a little bit to, be, to make some of these changes. Maybe I'll obey a little bit more. Maybe I'll listen a little bit and put on those noise-canceling headphones and try to decipher the voice of God. Can I be a little bit more invisible? Just a little bit. I'm not so involved in the world. Can I remember and reflect? And can I be patient? I'll end off with this here. What is our goal in life? If we ask and we're honest with ourselves and say, what is our goal in this world? Obviously, we know our spiritual goals, our eternal goal is to attain eternal life. But what are our goals in this world? We're being honest, right? Many of us want to have good careers and be comfortable and have families and etc. etc. And that's all good. It's all very healthy worldly goals. But why do we want these things? So we can be happy, right? Success equals happiness. You want to be happy, and happiness equals peace. Nobody wants to be finish their lives and saying, I'm unhappy or I have no peace. What we work for, everything that we do, school, career, family, is so we can have happiness, which equals peace. I'll read this verse from you here from Philippians. And this is St. Paul speaking. He says, no, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to be abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I have that last verse bolded there because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is probably one of the most notorious verses in the Bible. Right? Everyone knows it's the classic verse of motivation and energy and you know encouragement. Right? Steph Curry has it on his, his Under Armour slogan. Right? It's, it's, it's a very notorious verse. What St. Paul's telling us is, it's all good, great, it's a wonderful verse. But there's a bit of a prerequisite. 
He says, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content, to be abased, to be full, and to be humble. Is that not submission? Is that not trusting in the will of God? The irony of this verse is, where was St. Paul when he said this? Does anyone know? In jail. In prison. In probably the worst state known to man. Suffering, tribulation, torment. Not a very hygienic place, I would imagine. I would argue probably even worse than death. And he's saying this verse. Well, how about me? Can I be content? Can I be abased in all things? Where I'm going with this, my friends, is that submission gives me contentment. It gives me happiness. If St. Paul can gain it in this worst state that he's in, then why can't I gain it in my, in my first world problems today? When we practice true submission and true surrender to God, it gives me that happiness and that peace that I am seeking. And then truly, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So our prayer together as a unit is that we can trust in God's will, especially in today's climate. We can believe in his path and we can submit to him through obedience, through um, patience, through remembering and reflecting, through being invisible and through listening. And this is our hope that through all of these things, we can obtain true happiness and true peace in our Lord Jesus Christ. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.